Hey everyone, Andrew here with a fun little offer. If you are someone who wants to show your dedication to shows that break orbit uh, and everything that we do here at the Moonshot Network, well, now you can. We are officially open for some merch pre-sales. Uh, we've never done this before, but we are currently doing a pre-sale for some pins. A Moonshot pin that is uh, our cool logo that our good friend Caro designed is now available in metal and enamel, a wonderful pin form. If you want to show all your friends the coolest pin this side of Jupiter, you can pre-order it. It's available at moonshotnetwork.bigcartel.com. Or if you check our Twitter, we will have a tweet that is, should be pinned that'll tell you exactly where you can find it. <laughs> the tweet's going to be uh, it's going to be pinned like um, like you would if you ordered the... Anyways, you can pre-order it now. Ten bucks. Enjoy the show. And welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. And we're your favorite podcast, all about the books of Rick Riordan. Today, we're continuing The House of Hades. How are you doing today, Jane? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I feel like every day I'm growing and improving and learning as a podcaster. Oh, yeah? Yeah, like um, in, in this file that I'm, I'm making right here for this episode... Uh, what I'm not going to do is accidentally knock the project rate down to 8,000 hertz. Which makes the entire thing sound like shit and like people are talking through a fucking blanket. Most people recommend not doing that. I read, I think those that's in the guides. Most people recommend not doing that, and yet that didn't stop me when I was editing the bonus episode yesterday <laughs> and panicking for half an hour while I tried to figure out how to fix it. I'm glad you eventually fixed it. You know, you're, you're, <laughs> you're, a, real, you're a real team player and I really appreciate you. <laughs> thank you i appreciate you too how are you today jacqueline i'm doing a-okay uh the the snow from yesterday is clearing up a little bit uh the roads are clear which means we won't have any more uh horrifying car incidents and that's good uh-huh uh-huh and i i'm i'm, in, I'm looking forward to a life full of sunshine and joy the car is about to like crash through your wall <laughs> no that's especially <laughs> fucked up because we're on the second floor damn a fast car somebody built up a ramp <laughs> it's like a horrifying did you ever play like tony hawk's underground too god no but i know what you mean where you just go into like the fucking level editor and get a big ramp no, specifically what i mean is that the whole premise of the game is that you uh, are a group of skateboarders who are going around the world trying to destroy as much stuff as possible <laughs> uh so like in like the first level you go to like Boston and you like have to gr have to like do a do a trick over a statue to knock it over to fire a cannon that destroys like a historic Boston Tea Party ship uh and that is a pretty based is, actually yeah it is pretty based uh but yeah it's that that's what I imagine is going to happen uh to our house eventually <laughs> It'll be you me. Know, I'll do this. Oh, uh, I if it was you, I'd be fine with it probably. <laughs> this is this is simply this is this is just like um Piper and Annabeth, you know? Annabeth steals all of Piper's breakfast food until she starves to death and I crash a skateboard into your house. 
Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> now you're the Annabeth of the podcast, I guess. Damn right. But speaking of, like, wanton destruction, uh, <laughs> I guess we should talk, talk about these chapters, huh? We should talk about these chapters, which uh, destroy the great historic city of Venice. <laughs> oh, well, hmm. Yeah, let's let's get into it. Chapter 17, Frank. Frank wakes up turned into a python. This is foreshadowing. If you've noticed he's been a kind of an asshole since the last book, it turns out that's because, being at the center of the war between Greeks and Romans, Mars and Ares have both been inside of his head screaming at him and each other constantly, especially encouraging him to kill Leo, who like started the war. Frank goes above deck and sees that the Argo 2 is flying over Venice, which is infested with weird lumbering cow-like monsters that the mortals seem to just see as stray dogs. Nico says that the book they got from the dwarves points to a place called the Black House on the street of Calle Fraseria, so him, Frank, and Hazel go out to return it. Chapter 18, Frank. As they walk through Venice, Frank notices that the weird monsters seem to be eating a poisonous root that grows under the pavement. Eventually, they get to the Black House, which is in a neighborhood filled with lemures, angry Italian ghosts. Unfortunately, the gang is so distracted by Nico's explanation about them that Hazel trips over one of the poisonous roots. The monsters, thinking that they've gone after their food source, begin to chase after them, and despite Frank attempting to distract them, they still corner Hazel, spraying their poison breath into her face. Before they can try to escape back to the Argo 2, the god living in the Black House appears behind them and says that if they want her cured, they'll have to come with him. Chapter 19, Frank. Inside the Black House, which is a giant greenhouse full of farming equipment, the god, who they'll soon learn is Triptolemus, god of farming, explains that the monsters around Venice are Cataplepanes. Nico remembers them from mythomagic. They're from Africa, but came to Venice by way of St. Mark hundreds of years ago. Their poison breath is powerful, and Hazel is near death. However, when Nico draws his sword to try and force Triptolemus into healing her, he instead turns Nico into a stalk of corn. Apparently, Triptolemus doesn't like children of Hades. Demeter, Persephone's mom, gave him his powers, and on top of that, a child of Hades once killed one of the snakes that drove his plow. In a desperate attempt to fix everything, Frank offers to get him a new snake in exchange for Hazel and Nico being healed. Chapter 20, Frank. Frank rushes back out into Venice, and with the voices of his fathers ringing through his head, he recalls the story of Cadmus, who Ares turned into a snake as punishment. He begs for a boon like that, but is told he must prove his worthiness first by destroying what is overrunning Venice. What follows is a frankly horrifying cycle of Frank spending hours luring Cataplepanes toward him, striking out at them, and then leading them around the city, until he's eventually gathered all of them living in Venice at a bridge. He turns to face the pack and then goes into a battle rage, shifting effortlessly between forms as he kills every single one of the hundreds of Cataplepanes. When he strikes the final one down, Mars himself appears, his forms reunited by Frank's bravery, and transforms that final cataplep into a snake. Mars congratulates his son, and also tries to warn him that a test of his leadership is yet to come in a battle at Epirus against Gaia's armies, but can't get the forewarning out before his forms begin to sweat again. He urges Frank to go quickly, and then separates from himself in a way that manifests as a small nuclear explosion. Frank returns to the blockhouse with a snake in hand, and when Triptolemus tries to go back on the deal, Frank puts a sword to his throat and makes him swear on the river Styx he'll make good on his promise. He does so, and when Hazel is conscious again, Frank hugs her close, but she's a bit confused because he looks quite a bit different. 
A blessing from Mars has made him both taller and more muscled. Triptolemus also offers them advice on surviving the House of Hades. When they get to Epirus, they'll be offered a deadly poison that they must drink to be connected to the Otherworld. To survive it, they'll have to eat barley beforehand, which will absorb the worst of the poison. Trip flies off to spread the joys of farming, and Frank is left shaken at the death he caused, knowing he'll never be the same again. So, Jane, what'd you think of these chapters? Uh, these chapters are very interesting. Yeah. I, I, I feel like we're, we're gonna, we're gonna have to debate back and forth on some of the stuff in these chapters. You think so? Especially, like, I, I think so, because, well, I don't know, maybe you'll agree with me. I just think there's, like, interesting points of contention here, which, like, item one, top of the list, um, in fucking bold letters, uh, is this a retcon that we're looking at here? It's one of those things where, functionally, it's a retcon, right? This is mm-hmm. in- inserting reasoning for Frank's behavior back into previous books. This is something that Rick Riordan has done before. Uh, yeah. I, but whether or not it was, like, planned, it's kind of impossible to know unless he said it in an interview or something. Yeah, true. I just... What do you What do you think of this revelation? Uh, I I like this. I th- I I'm with you on this. I think this is like this is something that was kind of patched in after the fact to try and make up for how like frankly shitty and borderline out of character Frank was in Mark of Athena. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But I think it's a very it's a very neat way to do that, which kind of it gives Frank a problem to deal with in this book, and also kind of it writes off some of the shitty stuff he did as not like character related. It's more, you know, it's the, there were like pretty horrible extenuating circumstances, which mean that uh, we don't we don't have to grapple with Frank as a horrible person because that's not really where the character is supposed to go. Yeah, I think that's a really just like good way of putting it. This is a patch on sort of a mistake in the characterization. Like, I think that's the effect of it. I think that's how it works, whether or not like like ultimately, I think it it is a good retcon. Like, I think. Mm-hmm all of this completely follows right we didn't get to see any of frank's experience but you can really imagine him like all the shit he was doing last book you can definitely imagine the voices (laughs) of mars and aries in his head like telling him to fucking strangle leo to death on on the kitchen table and i mean we we also get like an interesting perspective on on leo in these chapters which is like uh did he have it coming (laughs) Right, because Leo, we we've talked about this. Too. Leo was being shitty to Frank, right? He he called him. He was like, "Oh, what a fatty!" And he was like, "Oh, uh, Frank is like I'm worth I'm worth at least two francs." Like that's yeah, bad. that's that's like not nice to say to someone, right? Leo's our I'm... favorite boy, but you can't defend him on that. He's he's a little shit for sure, and I think it's like it's it's one of the things that um. I don't think we brought up in a little while, actually, but it was one of the good things about, like, the start of Mark of Athena when the, um, like, the people from the two camps didn't trust each other that much, which is, like, having these characters with, like, differing views on their own relationships, because, like, Leo thinks he's Frank's friend now. Yeah. Like, that was his conclusion at the end of the last book, but Frank, clearly from this, like, seems to view Leo almost as, like, a bully. I think that's, yeah, this is a... This is a very true to life thing, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I if you 
it is a very common thing uh, if you are bullied. This is something that I've experienced, not to get too personal. But, like, if if you are, like, if your main interaction with people is, like, people who are mean to you, uh, <laughs> and then you are like, okay, I guess these people are the people I, like, hang out with. I guess these are my friends, sort of. Uh, even if they are... Like, it's very easy to view these relationships in different ways. Like, people can be very mean and be like, oh, this is my buddy. Uh, And on the other side of that, it's like, oh, this person is very mean to me. And I guess I hang out with them, but also they're really damaging me. (laughs) (laughs) He keeps trying to ride me like a horse. And there are hints that, like, not just hints, like, you can outright see that Leo has been trying to be a better friend to Frank. Mm Mm-hmm. He doesn't bring up anything other than the stuff that Leo has said, uh, like that we've already seen Leo say. And we outright know that Leo has helped him try and like learn more about his like weapons, like learning that his quiver can turn into a backpack and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But and there's even like, oh, sorry. No, please go ahead. And there's even like, um, like Frank uh, comments that like Leo hasn't made any cracks about him turning into a silverback gorilla and getting flashbanged yet, but he figures it's only a matter of time. But like for all we know, it's because Leo looked at that situation and was like, maybe I should keep my mouth shut about this. Right. Frank is not in Leo's head and mm-hmm. Leo is not in Frank's head. And I think this is a very well-drawn relationship here. Yeah. The, the scene... Oh my god. Like there's a lot to it, but... The, for the first thing I want to touch on with the the scene later on, just because it's kind of relevant to our current discussion, where Frank is going into his sort of like berserker mode, is that like the thing that he says, uh, staring at all the cataplepanies, is let me show you what Frank Jong is worth. Like, uh-huh. like he is, he's trying to prove something to himself and kind of to, he's trying to prove something to himself because his self image has been like spat on by Leo. Ah, uh-huh, definitely. It's just it's because it, it's another one we've talked about. Like we we like Leo being abrasive, and kind of the book acknowledging that sometimes he goes too far, and like the perspective we get on this from Frank is like someone who is like insecure enough, and I don't mean that as an insult. It's just Frank is very insecure, but he takes all of it personally. Yeah, yeah. Like Jason can pretty much let it go, right? Uh, Jason is Leo's buddy. They've they've known each other for a while. Frank and Leo are not buddies. Mm-hmm. Like they're not BFFs. And you're right. Frank is insecure. And I think like a a, a good writer would say, all right, I've I've shown Leo's side of things. And I've made it clear that he is like I've made it clear that he does go too far. Like I've made it clear that these traits of his are like flaws. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a very good writer will then say <laughs> that is true and also let's look at it from the perspective of the like like people who that has affected and i i think that is riordan's strength here yeah definitely he's he's gotten a lot better at this multi-character perspective stuff for sure definitely uh what else happens in this first chapter there's a really cute part where frank uh when he wakes up as a python he's like says that he had never changed from one animal to another in his sleep before usually he slept like a dog that's just like that's cute (laughs) wordplay it is it's fun and it's also a neat little expansion on frank's powers to just be like yeah he uses them for stuff other than turning into a combat bear if he wants to sleep properly he turns into a dog yeah speaking of dogs Uh uh-huh oh yeah we we get some big dogs in this one 
Some we more... got some big monster dogs. Monster what rhino do you... dogs. Yeah, what do you think of the Cataplepanes? The Cataplepanes have a great name, first off. Blep. Anything that, yeah, it incorporates a blep. That's that's good naming to me. Uh, yeah, these are these are interesting kind of monsters because I think we don't get like benign ones very often. They're usually just like raving lunatics or like basically just wild animals that eat people. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. It's 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 interesting to get like a new version of monsters like this, and then Frank has to kill them all anyway. Right, right, because um, like usually they are at the very least like dangerous creatures, like a hydra or whatever. These mm-hmm. are dangerous, but they are ultimately like big cows. Like a like a if a cow had monster powers, it would also just do this to you if you tried to take away its fucking hay or whatever. Yeah, like they are they are dangerous in the way that walking into a field of cows is dangerous because like if one kicks you in the head, you'll die. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, should we talk about sort of Frank's sort of the, how that final chapter goes? Yeah, let, let's talk about fucking the labor of Frank. The labor of Frank. That God, yeah. He, ooh, ooh. This is this is. I think the number one word I would use to describe this is just like awesome in the way of like <laughs> it is assuredly inspiring some degree of awe and also like awfulness uh inside yeah. of my heart very appropriately you're talking about it in the classic sense of the word uh-huh uh-huh <laughs> he, frank is terrifying here and also it is like just incredibly sad to watch this yeah because he is like this is like miserable to read in like a uh-huh. good way it conveys how miserable it is or it's just this constant cycle of rounding them up getting poisoned having to change it to something else to get rid of the poison rounding up more of them getting poisoned again it reminds me a little bit of like there have been a few good bits in the series that are like someone has to like do the thing that will kill them right uh mm-hmm. this is this is percy taking the sky a little bit yeah or going into the river sticks yeah yeah exactly and frank just putting himself through this like cycle of getting poisoned killing getting poisoned killing and by the end i i am i, I want to talk about this physical change he goes through especially and what that represents mm-hmm. by by the end him like having basically mastered his powers it seems like yeah the way that that happens is because he had to use them to kill everything yep like he he did not get to have a nice little training montage he did not get to like have a heart-to-heart moment that sort of unlocked the flow of it he Mm -hmm. he did it for hey he did it for hazel right yeah and for himself and for distant third nico (laughs) also for nico who is a stock of corn (laughs) but it in the fucking i hate that the first thing i'm thinking of is like the scott pilgrim movie um where at first he goes through and he tries to defeat gideon graves with the with the sword power of love uh but then he has to go through and do it the next time and actually win with the power of self-respect i'm gonna level with you i have not seen or read or played scott pilgrim that's probably fair the books like the the graphic novels are very good Uh uh-huh 
I know I know that people say that the graphic novels are better than the movie. Yeah, the movie's fun. We we shouldn't get into this, but the movie uh-huh. the movie uh-huh. movie's fun. Do you have any bits with this like sort of final sequence that you were interested in talking about? Uh, I think it's really funny that um, Rick Ryden keeps handing us just on a silver platter things to like do a trans reading of Frank. Uh huh. Where oh wow, uh, Frank had a growth spurt and is kind of more masculine and uh, muscular now, and he is really unsure of how to feel about that, and is even kind of like weirded out and feels kind of alien in his own body because of that. And, like, yes, this, this is we're adding to a fucking pile here. Frank Jong is so fucking transgender. <laughs> there's there's a there's a poll on Tumblr right now that is like the biggest eggs or whatever. And uh, I I think Percy Jackson was on there, but Frank wasn't on there. And that's a mistake, I think. I think think Frank is a way bigger egg than Percy. Yeah, if we're talking about characters who are... To to break out of the shell of terminology, as it were, if we're talking about Uh characters who are, like, could very easily be interpreted as trans, Frank definitely has it for me in this series. 100%. There was also just a tangent completely uh there was also like a white boy death match bracket what the uh, fuck <laughs> and uh my my two favorite entry entrants to see on there were percy and nico <laughs> although someone although someone did send in an ask to them like hey you shouldn't put nico on here nico isn't white <laughs> oh god we went into the italian racism discourse <laughs> I think that's really funny because Hazel has been like, oh yeah, my white boy brother. <laughs> uh, anyway, my, fa- my fascist Italy brother. Oh, we we talk a, we get a little bit of that here. Uh huh. Not Nico being a fascist, to be clear. We get a little bit of him talking about his mom uh, fleeing Italy right before the war kicked off or whatever. mm Hmm. And then presumably, wait, hang on, did, did, did we see um, Nico's mom getting fucking vaporized by Zeus? I don't remember that, did we? I swear we see that in a flashback. Oh. This was a while ago, though. It would have been a while ago, yeah. I mean, that wouldn't necessarily contradict anything, right? Like. True. She, she might have just, like, fled to America or something. She, fl- she flees to America, gets blasted, and mm-hmm. then... Hades hides them in the hotel, probably. Actually, that makes more sense because that means that the Lotus Hotel and Casino is like nearby. Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, this, but not just like the trans metaphor interpretation thing. Uh, this physical change of Frank, where he is like his stomach flattens his chest gets bulkier he's gets taller like it's all very like puberty metaphor i guess oh definitely um and you're right i do like that this is not left as that this is not left at all as like wow isn't frank so much cooler isn't frank so much more attractive like this is presented as oh something something unchangeable has happened to me <laughs> like something mm-hmm. Like, I have, uh, this is represented not as, like, a growth of Frank, but as an extension of the fact that he has now, like, killed hundreds of living creatures. Yeah, it's not presented as, like, Frank is punching the air because he's not fat now, yay. 
which is frankly shocking to me given how rick ryden has been known to treat fat people in his writing i was really worried that we were gonna wade into that territory Mm -hmm. and yeah i i'm happy that that wasn't it i mean there's book to go yet there's book to go yet but for now at least i can't say the phrase but for now or i'm gonna start ending the show <laughs> but for now if you like to talk about frank uh listen we've gone for a good 25 minutes that's 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 about right yeah 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 nico's having a fun little time in these chapters i think you think so I think so. I think Nico is very much enjoying getting to be like the cool, mysterious child of death. Yeah. Like he's playing, he's playing it up so hard where he's like, uh, Frank is like, oh yeah, you can come with me. You're good with animals, right? And Nico like flashes a uh, like unpleasant smile at him and is like, actually, uh, animals hate the children of death. They can smell the mortality on us or whatever. And he's like, he's... He's really playing that up and trying to like be this like cool ambassador of death character, and then we re- remember later that he plays Mytho Magic. Yeah, that's really and the Frank <laughs> also played Mytho Magic. I that's so good. Yeah, I love that bit. Nico having to take time out of his little persona to be like, uh, it was in the like Africanus expansion. <laughs> like uh, that's incredibly good and nerdy like i i i love this little moment of connection because the the chapters start out and frank is like oh nico is fucking scary yes <laughs> like he's terrified of him yeah and that's not something we've ever gotten before really because the primary point of view who we've understood the character of nico through is percy and percy percy was there at the con- at the conception of nico's demons as it were yeah, he fucking, he knows that this kid is just a little goth dweeb. He's a little goth dweeb who's really sad because his sister died. And who's very <laughs> and angry Percy about said that he was going to not let that happen. Yes, right? <laughs> but Frank doesn't have any of the context of Nico. He doesn't have any mm-hmm. of the, he, he understands Nico as he presents himself now. Uh, he's, he is dangerous. He is of yeah. death. He's magical. Uh, and it's incredibly interesting to get to see Nico in this different light, especially when the cracks break through with the with like the mytho magic part. Yeah, I lo- I love that it's like it's a thing that Frank also knows. So it's not just like Nico talks about a dweeby thing, but it is like Frank finds something that he actually has in common with this person that he's scared shitless of. Yeah, yeah. And then he gets turned into a plant. Classic Percy Jackson. <laughs> Listen, you're either poisoned and dying or being turned into a plant. Those are the only two things you can be. Yeah. D- hmm. You're either you're either poisoned or dying, turning into a plant, or uh, like committing an act of such horrible violence that you will never be the same again. <laughs> yeah, basically. Those are the. We we've got the trifecta of Percy Jackson arcs here. I I want to say I really do think like. Just, I was worried about getting more point of view characters for this book, which is definitely what mm-hmm. is happening. Like, it seems like we're just kind of going through the entire crew. Yeah. But it seems like Rick Riordan is actually handling pretty well. Just like, okay, we've got four chapters, then it'll be a while. Well, we can, I, I can, I can get a fucking character arc in there. Like I can, I can give this <laughs> character a story. He, he's doing that really well so far. 
it is, it's an improvement on, like, Mark of Athena, where Annabeth's quest had to be, like, two rooms because she only had the four chapters. Yeah. And these are shorter, like, sections as well. They are, yeah. Which is kind of, like, because with Mark of Athena, we got Annabeth, like, every third chapter, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, with with this, we, half of the book is Annabeth and Percy, it seems like, and the other half is the other crew. And that, and they're subdivided into, like, okay, Hazel gets a turn, uh, Leo gets a turn, Frank gets a turn. So it's, it's even longer of, of a gap. And mm-hmm. yet, it's still, like it still is satisfying like we're not being left on he's not doing any of the like cliffhanger stuff uh he's not like leaving up like yeah what what's what was the thing that happened in mark of athena where it was like leo was like ah i have a plan to get us out of here and then at the end like they appeared again like at the (laughs) end of the book or whatever and then they appear at the end and they're like yeah we drilled a hole and then pushed frank through it in weasel form No wonder he feels like shit all the time. Like he's 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 a weasel. He's a tool. We've said this before. He's a weasel man. Yeah. Or like Lost Hero, where like the the same chapter cliffhanger happened like twice in like eight chapters. Oh God! Right? Yeah. Everybody is falling off Festus. That's how it be. <laughs> oh man, I forgot about that. More people should fall off the Argo too. I think that should have be how every chapter ends. <laughs> Frank fucking trips and falls because he doesn't understand his like center of gravity anymore. God. There's a bit here that kind of gets, I don't know. It feels like it gets dropped or like, it's going to be more important than it is um, mm-hmm. with, the, with the Lemores. Oh yeah. They like that comes up and Nico's like, don't worry. I got this. And then it turns out we needn't worry. He did in fact have this. It's strange to bring it up in a way that makes it feel like, Oh, if it's said in the book, then it's probably important. Mm-hmm. And the only purpose it seems to serve is just to be like a little distraction. So you forget that there are horrifying poison monsters around them. Yeah, I can see that being it. I, it might, it may be like the next set of chapters are going to open up with like, they're getting chased out of Venice by the Lemuras. Oh, that's actually pretty possible. I think. Yeah, I could see that. I, Ooh, are we going to get Nico chapters in this book? God, I hope so. We've never gotten a Nico chapter before. I want them. That's true. Fucking nine books in and we finally get Nico POV. Hell yeah. I I guess I, I was disappointed not to see them because I was really excited about the idea of just angry Italian ghosts. Um, <laughs> especially the idea of angry Italian ghosts while also there are monsters around who are... Like who have some connection to Africa? I was like, are we? Or Mad Claude? Mad Claude? Mad Claude here? <laughs> oh my fucking god! I didn't even clock that, but you're right. God, we need him back. We do. <laughs> Look, speaking of bits that kind of come up and then get dropped with no elaboration, what the fuck is Piper talking about when she's like, "Uh, I'm not good with cows." What is she? I was trying to figure this out. Is she just bullshitting? Is did this happen in a short story? Was there like an evil cow there? I feel like we read all the short stories. We did, but I'm like, was there an extra? <laughs> did this didn't happen in Quest for Buford? There were no cows there, right? Uh-huh. My only conclusion I can come to is like, oh, I oh oh Jane, what what's up? Fucking uh uh, 
uh, Redditor, Reddit man, Reddit cow man, Reddit river man. What? The oh, I I I prefer actually I prefer scrolls. What the? That oh, guy. the fucking yeah, the incel with the cow horns. That literally happened last book, and yet I'm 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 still like, wow, what a deep cut. <laughs> to be fair, most of what we took away from those chapters was, wow, Hercules fucking sucks. Yeah, fair. My theory was that um, it might be the like Piper fucking is hanging out with Annabeth all the time. Yeah. Uh, and Annabeth has a cow curse on her. Oh my Hera. god. And I thought it was maybe like like Piper has to deal with the blowback of that just by dint of being around Annabeth, and that's why she hates cows. I want that to be the truth. I want that to be right. <laughs> it could be both. She's just had bad cow experiences overall. Yes, Piper has no reason to like cows. She's going to be- uh, stop being a vegetarian over this. <laughs> I forgot Piper was a vegetarian. <laughs> Did we get we haven't gotten Piper yet in this book, have we? I don't think so, no. I I really do at this point just want to cover sort of the entire Give me a fucking coach head chapter, who cares? <laughs> god you you know what in in this book that is tied for like the longest page count that rick Ryden has ever written he should have the balls to just like do a chapter where the kids like get into trouble off the argo and they're like fuck we need coach hedge's help where is he and then just do four solid chapters of coach hedge just like ambling around the argo in his pants like watching sports and stuff <laughs> the problem is i i think i as a reader am predisposed to enjoying things like this <laughs> uh, because the things that I read when I was like forming an enjoyment of what uh, like this is what novels should be is like S- Salem's like Stephen King who like loves to spend four chapters with a random <laughs> guy like watching football and have it be like oh and then the random guy you wouldn't know this but in 17 chapters he'll return and he's a back like a background vampire or something god I was meant to read Salem's Law last semester. You didn't end up doing it? I didn't end up doing it. I just listened to the um, the fucking uh, Just King Things episode about it. <laughs> That's really funny. And you know what? I was still somehow one of the most knowledgeable people in that fucking classroom. Incredibly fair. That's a, I think that's a that's a solid enough book. Uh, it's not one of my favorite Stephen Kings, but yeah. Mm-hmm. I this is I guess the, I I kind of want to ask this because I think this is an interesting reference point just for like our takes on the series. Have you read Stephen King much in your life? I don't think I have read a Stephen King book. Gotcha, gotcha. Because I I'm not really a horror person, so I've just never really touched his stuff. Makes sense. You never had the urge to like you're in your like you're 12 years old. You're in your school library and you see like ooh. Stephen King, how adult. Like, how, how spooky, how adult. I must touch this. I think when I was in my, my 12-year-old, like, um, ooh, this is this is uh, so much cooler and more adult than the stuff I've already read. That was when I was like, oh, Skullduggery Pleasant is way better than Harry Potter. <laughs> and oh, you know yes. what? I was fucking right. I don't stand by a lot of my opinions from that time period, but on that one, I was absolutely correct. Absolutely. Oh god. Well, I guess that that establishes something about popular fiction writers and our touch points for them. I've read I've read too much Stephen King. You read too much Stephen King. I mean, you're also reading these. Uh-huh. We we we've covered that you've you've dived back into the archives and found historical Jacqueline. Oh, 
Yeah, yeah, I have. I was definitely reading these and Stephen King at the same time. Like, <laughs> I, yeah, this is, I don't know if, for some reason we never really talked about this. This is the last book I read. Wait, really? Yeah, I'd never read Blood of Olympus at all. Wow, so this can't be that good then. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if that's right or if it just like this, this might have come out and I just like didn't ever think to pick them up again. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Do we have to like change the podcast like tagline like the central bit being that like Jacqueline has a vague memory of these from childhood and I don't yeah I <laughs> if I'm being completely honest I remember fuck all about what we've read so far in this book except for like maybe a couple of scenes like like maybe a couple of lines uh and I like like one thing that happens later and that's about it this simply couldn't measure up to your favorite heroes of Olympus book son of Neptune I the cover is so cool it really makes up for it i think <laughs> the co- the cover is cool percy says fuck in the first few chapters what more could you ask for it's true oh there's a character who we've almost completely neglected who would that be triptolemus oh yeah triptolemus triptolemus how'd you say it i don't know doesn't I don't matter fucking farm guy farm man the god of farming this is a classic percy jackson god this is a classic we meet a funny god while on the road thing i think this is one of the one of the better ones we've had in a while you think so i think so i we've because it's not hecate was kind of like she was very dramatic and dark and serious and i think that worked but this is like this is like fucking meeting iris in her uh fucking vegan co-op in son of neptune i think i i'm a little bit cooler on on triptolemus than you are i uh-huh I just don't think he has much going in the way of personality. Like, he has a personality, but I feel like it's kind of stock Rick Riordan god personality. That's true. I might be projecting a bit more onto him, because his whole deal is that he does, like, online farming courses. Yeah, that's and really so there's, good. There's a little bit of, like, that wasn't there at the time, but in retrospect, he's a bit tech bro. In a, in a way that he is, like, made to look like a jackass for that in a way that I enjoy. <laughs> No, you're like his entire deal of I want to spread farming to the entire world is <laughs> it's such a specific and it's such a specific thing that really colors his entire personality mm-hmm. in a way that is like, oh, the, yeah, this guy is just the biggest douchebag. This guy, all he talks about is farming. This is why he lives in Venice on his own and not on Olympus. Yes. This is, this is the fucking Hercules levels of just, yes, cram this guy somewhere where we don't have to think about him. Absolutely. It's, I, I don't know what I was imagining from, like, we're going to get one of the Greek gods that lives in Italy. I, but I, I guess I was imagining a more culturally specific thing. But what I actually, I think where I got, ended up getting that was from the discussion about uh, St. Mark or whatever. Something about a Percy Jackson god, a Greek god, I guess you could also call those, um, uh-huh. <laughs> saying like, oh yeah, and then the saint, like the saint's remains were like carried in a pip- pickle jar across like from Egypt to Venice or whatever. And I there's something about that that rings interestingly for me in the way that like, the the bit with the evil preacher in the first book does 
<laughs> or like fucking Hecate at the end of Son of Magic, where she's like, maybe the Christian God is real. Every single time one of the Greek gods implies like, I, I guess not, not even implying that the Christian God is real or anything like that. Anytime one of them just talks about Christianity, the cultural force that exists, mm-hmm. it it feels like a little bit transgressive and also yeah. is it happens sparingly enough that I'm always like, whoa, this really is the real world, I guess. It happens sparingly, except in Kane Chronicles, which did imply that the Christian god was fake. <laughs> well, that part was really good. We, the, the Egyptian gods don't believe in uh, the Christian god, but the Greek gods do believe in the Christian god. We can analyze this through a lens of... <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what lens we can analyze this through. Probably not. I don't know if, I don't know if Triptolemus actually does believe in the Christian... I don't know, like, just his general, like, sneering demeanor means that he feels like he's kind of... He's kind of dunking on the people who did this. Yeah, definitely. Like, went to get these the saints' remains, especially because he's like, yeah. Then these idiots infested the city with monsters. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about it like this is some great tragedy, right? Oh, the big doggos get killed, but these are like an invasive species, also. Uh-huh. Like this is like those yearly alerts in Philadelphia or whatever. Like, hey, if you see any of these bugs that eat all of our plants, uh, make sure to stomp on them. Like this mm-hmm. is basically he's he's doing a public service. Yeah, Frank is the the snakes that they introduce in Springfield Elementary to get rid of all the fucking rats or whatever, and then the snakes get out of control and they have to get in fucking coyotes or something. What is this a reference to? There's a there's a bit in The Simpsons where they like they just keep introducing different invasive species to kill the invasive species. That's amazing. It, it just makes the problem worse. That's really good. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad you like this Simpsons joke that I repeated back to you. <laughs> I do. I I find that oftentimes this one repeats a Simpsons joke to me. I'll say, oh, that's funny. <laughs> I did spend like 30 minutes of my life just reading, like watching a Twitter thread of Simpsons bits the other day. Oh, you saw that too, huh? <laughs> was it the one that was like jokes that are like set up to be one thing, but are made into another? Yeah, the, the kind of jerk around the audience. Yeah. Yeah, that one's... Do we both watch that same thread of Simpsons clips for 30 minutes? I think I think it's very possible that it was the exact same thread. That's incredibly funny. <laughs> the Simpsons are not something I've dived into too much in my life, but I, I feel like Rick Riordan is probably a huge Simpson head. <laughs> you think so? I don't know. Probably, right? He's like the type of guy to be like, oh, I love the Simpsons, but just the old ones, haha. Yeah, honestly, I can, I can fucking... Walker Scobell or whatever his his name is, the the kid who plays Percy, he's gonna have to deal with so much of Rick Ryder and like sitting with him being like, "Damn, Simpsons used to be good." <laughs> I hope that happens. I guess. <laughs> oh, Percy Jackson news this week. Uh, Rick Ryder and Marco Shiro are going on tour to, for the sun to talk about the sun and the star. Oh shit! Yeah, so. That'll be the f- the first in-person uh, Rick Riordan meeting since 2019, I guess. Because he's old and COVID would probably kill him. Yeah, that's really sad, <laughs> Jane. Yeah. What? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's sad to say. I hope he doesn't die. I also hope he doesn't die. If he dies, we don't have any more content for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Uncle Rick. <laughs> I've never, I, I think that's maybe the first time the words Uncle Rick have been uttered in this podcast, and I don't like I it. I refuse. 
I, I, I don't. He's not my uncle. He's normal. He's just a man. He's just a man in the world. He's just a man who writes some pretty good books. And these are pretty yeah. good chapters. They were. I agree. Apart from, my my only other thing is that, like, I guess the, the fucking blep, whatever the fuck they're called. The cataplepanese. That's it. The cataplepanese uh, is an extremely rare example of this series just bringing up a direct, like, bad consequence of imperialism. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, you, you know, the Roman Empire is presented as a pretty um, unalloyed good in, in this series reckoning. Uh, but I guess... Actually, I guess that's not the only time that we've seen, like, the, the downsides of imperialism. It also means that if you're Frank, your mom stands on an IED. It means that, and it means that slavery happens. Uh-huh. But that's fine, because we don't ask Piper and Hazel oh. how they feel about that. Oh! Oh! Did you... <laughs> did you see the... Did you notice the part where um, Mars and Ares are doing a song battle against each other? Fuck, we haven't even... Yeah, Mars and Ares are a really weird fucking comedy double act in these chapters. They are. I need to specifically talk about this bit, first of all, where uh-huh. they are they are singing... Like, Ares is doing the fucking Battle Hymn of the Republic, and Mars is doing Dixie. <laughs> God. I, never before have i mean okay that's not true we saw mars literally in like a confederate uniform i think before i don't think we did we didn't i, I thought we true. saw him dancing with, with we saw him like dancing with aphrodite at like a confederate ball. oh no you're right yeah you're absolutely right um but just the outright saying like these two guys are on opposing sides of the civil war <laughs> really is something it I, I don't know. I feel like maybe Percy kicked the shit out of the wrong aspect of Ares. Uh-huh. Maybe Ares is, is not that bad. And yet we are we do get the idea that he is the less noble aspect here. Um because we we see Mars in these chapters. We haven't talked about it. Like we haven't really talked about Mars and Ares mm-hmm. yet. But uh he shows up to sort of like give Frank a a kind hearted punch on the shoulder. Yeah, it's very much more in the vein of, like, um, uh, soccer dad Mars from Son of Neptune as opposed to physically abusive dad from Sea of Monsters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, consistent characterization and all that. But Mm -hmm. also, it's very weird uh, having, like, one chapter you've got him singing Dixie and the next chapter <laughs> you've got him in, like, uh, he shows up in Italian special services uniform and uh, he he gives Frank, like, a he commends him for his strength and says that it's okay to be afraid. And, like, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, I guess. Can you imagine if you had a god singing the fucking Confederate national anthem in your head all the time? No wonder Frank's gone fucking nuts. Yeah, I think <laughs> I would too. <laughs> My God. Yeah, I do. I do just like the the two of them just like screaming back and forth at each other in these chapters, like the bit where um, Ares is yelling "kill farmers," and Mars replies, "No, go back to America and kill Greeks." What are we doing here? And Ares replies, "Killing farmers." <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, that's really good. Um, there's the part where they're like disagreeing with each other over who the, like the best warrior was or whatever, uh, and Mars wins. But or actually, like Ares ends up suggesting a Roman guy, and it's like I guess I can like accept Horatius or whatever. Yeah, they both. You just get this image of them both like sitting there in sullen silence. The way that that ends, though, after he says everything to Frank, after he actually this might appeal to you because he specifically says that Frank is going to need to like have his leadership tested. That's uh, true. It's back. The Frank leadership arc real. Yes. Yes. And Frank himself, I think also earlier in the chapter says that he needs to become like the military tactician of the group. Mm-hmm. After that, his like consciousnesses start to split again. Like you see a flash of Ares in the place of Mars, and he's like pretty much classic vision of Ares, right? From yeah. per- from Percy Jackson. Yeah, he's got his fucking biker gear on and stuff. And it's really interesting to me that we see Ares as like a vicious biker guy versus Mars's like upright military man. Well, I suppose it, it does kind of reflect um, how the the two camps kind of approach um, like combat and military stuff. Because, like, like we talked about a few times, Camp Jupiter is like this this little military hunter. They've got their like an actual organized army and stuff, while Camp Harpod is built around this like this like Greek mythological idea of like lone heroes or small bands of heroes going out and doing stuff, and like Mars being like the military guy kind of is reflective of the Camp Jupiter thing. And Ares being, like, a, a biker guy who goes around and kills people randomly. What is that, if not the modern version of a Greek hero? It's very true. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. I, I'm i really interested in, in that, this, we've, you know, this has been in the series for a while, but it's just kind of, like, I'm thinking about it right now. The implications of, like, how Americanized the Greek gods are, as opposed mm-hmm. to, like, like, even when he shows up in... Like, I'm sure there are biker guys in Venice, too. But he shows up as, like, the American biker guy. Yeah. But he shows up <laughs> as an American biker guy here. Not, like, that's an true. Italian... Not, like, an Italian version, unlike Mars. Yeah, that's really weird, actually. I guess, I, I guess I, technically Mars is on his home turf. That... Yeah, that is true, huh? Maybe Ares will show up in a togo or something when they get to Greece. I I could see that happening. I guess what I was imagining was it sort of spoke to something that we I think we discussed that especially at the end of like the last Olympian, um, mm-hmm. with the sort of how there are in like the beginnings of the the first couple books in this in this series where there aren't just like the the two versions of gods. There is it's not just Greek and Roman. It's also kind of there is an American version too. Yeah, definitely. And. Like- it seems like the American Ares sort of supersedes the Greek one, uh, and that kind of tends to happen across the gods. Yeah, that's really true, and I don't think we've the, the the books have ever like gone into a lot of detail about why that's going on or give us an indication of what it might like indicate thematically. Yeah, it it may be something we're supposed to take as read, you know. Hmm. Yeah. But I I do want to I'm gonna keep an eye out from that. I think yeah, for, yeah. for the rest of this book at least and then before I forget about it <laughs> we'll probably forget about it in like two weeks I'm sure we will <laughs> speaking of things that we usually forget about oh yeah yeah we should we should do which character was not Cisette this week yeah uh, you go first I feel like I always go first and steal the obvious one and then you're left with whatever's <laughs> so you can, you can go first this week I'll do Triptolemus fuck 
<laughs> in another life, uh, I think he would be like farm gay. Like, you know what I mean? Like he, he very much has like the aesthetics of like not cottage core, uh, but mm-hmm. he is very much like you you know, you get those lesbians who are like, I just wanna go off and farm. I just wanna farm the land and it's like, okay, there's some implications there. But, you know, I I, I, I was lit. That, this was going to be my justification. I was going to be like, him being the god of, of farmers means that he is, by extension, the god of just like queer people who go out in the middle of nowhere and start a commune. Yeah, yeah. Well, t- tough luck, tough titty. So you got to you gotta <laughs> do one too. Shit. Uh, okay, can't do Frank. We've already talked about Frank. Nico didn't really do anything not cishet this week. Uh, I I will say Ares um, because he's he's always uh, like riding around on another man. Huh? Because his How fucking so? his bike seat is made out of human skin. Oh yeah, I thought you were gonna <laughs> say he's like Ares is kind of like um like a leather guy. I can see it. He he he's into leather and he's into like the military uniforms and it's like okay this is getting a little uncomfortable but like I guess you're hot. <laughs> uh-huh. So that, that's yeah I, I I definitely see what you're saying there. All right, well our intro and outro music is Super Mario Ocean by Space Pony. You can find that at OC Remix. Uh, cover art is by Vera at Insmith underscore in on Twitter. We are hosted by the Moonshot Network. You can find them at moonshotpods.com. If you want to find us, you can go to twitter.com slash unwisegirls, where uh, you can find links to our Discord server, our email, our socials, uh, find updates on when episodes are going live, and find uh, visual companions to episodes as well. If you want to support us, you can go and leave a five-star rating and review on your podcast app of choice. That helps us out a lot. You can tell yeah. a friend. That probably helps us out even more. And you can go and support us monetarily. On patreon.com slash unwisegirls, if you give a dollar a month, you will get the uh, Discord role of Camp Counselor. If you support at $3 a month, you get the Discord role of Friend of Bacchus, as well as all of the bonus content. Yep, yeah, uh, we're still we're making our way through black sails, sailing fast. I don't know the lyrics to this song. Sailing um, fast, pirates pass, and I'm homestuck. Jacqueline says something truly fucking unhinged in in the, the latest episode that I feel like people need to hear. Uh huh. I I feel you. Context doesn't make it any better. Okay, yeah, we I, I I call a character a set of words that I think Jane that broke Jane's brain a little bit. Absolute fucking word salad is what you said about this character. I also, uh, if you liked my part in this episode where I talked about how Nico uh, sort of projects uh, an image that he uh, is sort of pasting over his past, uh, then you will really <laughs> like where I originally used that same uh, line of argument on uh, a character from Black Sails. I honestly thought that you were going to repeat the um, the Billy Bones torture monologue for Frank talking about how he'd been changed by his uh, experiences. I literally was considering it because it's <laughs> so... I, I am... Percy Jackson is just Black Sails. You have to go listen to us talk about Black Sails. Yeah, there's a boat in Heroes of Olympus, there's a boat in Black Sails, basically the same thing. <laughs> and for $5 a month, you get the Discord role of Venus is Chosen, all of our bonus content, and a special thank you at the end of every episode. 
Speaking of which, this week we'd like to thank uh, Simcoe, I Love Sammy's Great, uh, Danny, Tanner, Mercy, Veronica Friend, Bree, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say, at the end of every single episode... See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye. Bye. getting kicked in the face at Warp Tour? Did you shatter your glasses in a mosh pit in 2007? Did you wear more studded belts than a Final Fantasy character? Then we have the show for you. We are So Emo I Fell Apart, a podcast about third wave emo, late night live journal updates, burnt hair, and everything in between. Join us every second Saturday as we examine major moments in the history of emo and keep you updated on current events. Because it was never a phase.